Welcome back to another School of Science Radio. I'm Gino Ganello, joined, as always, by Matt Chandler. And this week, we have a special guest by the name of Jeff Walner. Jeff, how are you doing today? I'm good. Uh, it's good to see you guys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. It's great to have you on. And Jeff is um, a freelance sports journalist. Uh, actually, like myself, I'm also a freelance uh, reporter here on the East Coast um, in uh, in New York. Um, he's Cincinnati-based. He's an Evertonian. Uh, Jeff, like, let's start off with that part a little bit. How did you uh, get into Everton? Obviously, us here in America, we aren't born in Liverpool, so, you know, it's uh, it's not as natural as that. <laughs> yeah, we uh, we all chose our clubs, right? So, um, but yeah, I, I'll give you the I'll give you kind of the short version. I guess there there's a, a long and short version to this, but uh, um, I think like most Americans, I I, I fell in love uh, with football. Um, I think a lot of us fell in love with uh, uh, the sport around the same time and uh, and eventually came to the realization that we needed to uh, find a club to to support um, i 've always had a an affinity for for England um, music wise culture wise um, the Premier League was going to be um, uh, the league that that was the league that I was following. So I wanted a, a Premier League club uh, that I could that I could support. So it's kind of started out pretty simple, but um, um, maybe it's because I'm I'm a journalist, um, or maybe it's just my nature. But um, I tend to take these things a little more serious than maybe a lot of other people would. Um, so I wanted to learn more about the history of English football. So I started to do a little research. Um, I went back and looked at uh, the original football league in 1888 and what clubs were involved in that. And um, Everton kind of jumped off the page because I was familiar with Everton, obviously because of Tim Howard and Landon Donovan. Um, I've always said that uh, I, I did not want to, uh, uh, to choose Everton because they had American players. That was really not a factor for me. I know for a lot of Americans it was. Um, I wanted a club that had a deep tradition, um, a club that had an iconic ground, um, that had a, a good, a good history, um, a great loyal fan base. Um, but long story short, um, what kind what kind of pushed me over the top here is I had a friend in Cincinnati who was from Liverpool. I didn't know that. I knew he was from England, but I, I didn't wasn't aware he was from Liverpool. And he caught wind of uh, of my search and that I was considering Everton. And uh, we had long discussions about um, his family, about uh, going to the matches at Goodison. Um, about his friends and uh, and just a lot of great stories and it, it really sounded just kind of really sounded like something that I could that I could really really embrace. Um, but I didn't I didn't expect this and I, I think this is kind of where the um, your your chosen even I, I've always said as Americans even though we chose Everton I, I still feel like we were in some strange way um, chosen because I didn't expect this club um, to become such a big part of my life. Um, and I think it goes back to the Allen Ball quote. Um, you once Everton has touched you. Um, and yeah. they say that once Everton grabs you, there's no, uh, you know, there's no turning back. And that's kind of what happened to me. Um, Everton's become a big part of my life. 
Um, I've made uh, close friends uh, in, in Liverpool and Ireland and other parts of England. Certainly, I've met a lot of people in Cincinnati and other parts of the U.S. that I would have never met had it not been for Everton. So it's been, uh, it's been an, amazing, an amazing experience. And uh, as I always say, this uh, dis dysfunctional uh, little football club has become a, a massive part of my life. And uh, I wouldn't trade him for anything in the world. So. Have you have you managed? Have you got any memories from coming over to the city or going to Goodison at all? Um, yeah, so so far I've I've just I've come over once, but I did spend eight days. So I think I got a really good flavor for um, the city of Liverpool. Um, I'm a massive music buff, so I did all the Beatles stuff. Um, I did the tour of Goodison, um, and then obviously went to went to a match. Um, I spent a lot of time in. Uh, uh, in the Philharmonic and in Fly in the Loaf and a lot of time on Matthew Street <laughs> and strolling around Albert Dock. Um, and I was actually planning on going uh, back uh, last year in the spring uh, before uh, everything hit. So um, my next trip will be a little bit different because I've met so many people over there. And so now I have so many people that... Uh, I don't know how long I'll have to spend because everybody wants to have a pint <laughs> now. So like, I, I can't get to everyone the next time I come over, but, uh, but yeah, the people in Liverpool are amazing. I fell in love with the city. Um, I loved everything about it. And um, it really kind of went beyond Everton because I really came away feeling like, uh, you know, Liverpool was kind of a, a second home in a, in a strange way. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful city. I enjoyed it. I can't wait to, can't wait to get back. What was the uh, what was the game that you went to? I went to the Chelsea match on St. Patrick's Day. Oh yeah, with, yeah, with the, the, the silver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were uh, up in the main stand. Uh, we were right above both goals. Uh, Richie scored the first, and then uh, Gilfie had the the penalty um, that he missed, and then he <laughs> then he slotted on the rebound. Uh, um, but yeah, that was a great day. We were. Uh, uh, we we were in the Winslow and in the Brick, and it, it was a fantastic afternoon. Did you, so in Cincinnati? Do, do you cover FC Cincinnati? Is that a team that you've covered? Being I do, I do. Um, yeah, how I does, cover. How um, do I, I hear that they're, the fans there are pretty pretty awesome? The the experience, the atmosphere there is pretty good. How does yeah, that compare to you know? Is there anything in in American football that you know uh, soccer you know that compares to? being at Goodison or anything like that? Really, it's a lot different. Um, I would say that there's nothing in America that compares to, to England. Uh, when you go to an MLS match, um, and I haven't attended a match in, um, in Latin America or anywhere, or anywhere else, but um, it, it, feels more, it feels more like that. Mm -hmm. um, in England, completely different completely different vibe. You don't have the drums and the, and the chants and the smoke and the, just, just all the thing. And, you know, everyone, it's kind of a sea of uh, orange and blue at FC Cincinnati matches, yeah. you know, Goodison is much more, the culture in England is, is completely different, but it's, I, I thought it was very, very, uh, very cool um, to be a Goodison and just the atmosphere and everyone's so intently focused on the match, which is not <laughs> we do here in American yeah. sports. So um, it's, it's sports here are very much more of a social event and they're every, all eyes are on the pitch and it's a, you're very focused on the match and it was just an incredible atmosphere. But yeah, FC Cincinnati, 
um, kind of uh, burst on the scene as a USL franchise mm -hmm. uh, a few years ago and, um, and drew just incredible crowds, 30,000, 25,000 routinely. Um, really gave MLS um, not much of a choice, but to, uh, but to give them a shot at a, at a franchise. Um, they've struggled the past two years uh, mightily, um, but they do have a new stadium opening up next year, which is very exciting. It's a 26,000 seat stadium right in the heart of the city. Um, it's gonna do great things to revive uh, that area of our downtown. And it's gonna be a great thing for FC Cincinnati to, uh, and I'm sure they'll, they'll, they'll draw huge crowds there starting next year. Yeah, absolutely. I, I had, you know, I was, I studied abroad in London uh, for a little bit. So I had, I wasn't lucky enough to get up to Liverpool, but I was lucky enough to go to a Tottenham match because my dad and my brother are Tottenham fans and they came over. Um, and you're right. I mean, I, I kind of wanted to know your experience because my experience is very similar. It's like, it's so, it's such a different atmosphere than American sports or how we watch sports here in America, which is part of the reason I personally fell in love with, uh, you know, soccer, football in the first place. Um, but yeah, it's definitely, definitely a really cool experience and, and definitely got to get to Goodison now. But, you know, let's get into Everton and what we're looking at right now. Um, these, these podcasts get harder and harder by the week because the first four were great, you know, when we're talking about wins and stuff like that. Uh, but this week, obviously, another draw. Um, now one win in, in seven. Um, but two changes from the previous, uh, the previous match, the Leeds defeat. Uh, Mina and Delph came in for Holgate. And um, Davies. that's right. Davies. Davies. Yeah, Davies played on the, on that right. That's right. Yeah. Um, obviously Brady scores in the third minute. Calvert Lewin scores in stoppage time of the first half. Um, you know, 12 games now without a clean sheet in all competitions, another long range goal too. Jeff initial reactions to this match and what you saw. Well, obviously, obviously disappointing, um, and and you keep you keep waiting for uh, Everton to to be one of those clubs that when you you face an opponent that is at the bottom of the table or behind you in the table, and you keep waiting for them to come out um, with a certain level of resolve and intensity and injury and, and intensity and. Um, um, and energy to, uh, to to take control of the match from the off, and and they just they didn't do that. It was it was a very poor first half. It was a very disappointing first half. Um, and then the injury to Delph really kind of kind of changed thing. It forced Carlo's hand, and uh, and actually the second half, I thought uh, they had much better control of the match overall. Um, and and really, it's a it's a match they should have come away with. Uh, could have should have come away with three points, even though um, even how poor that that first half was. But um, but again, the frustrating thing I know we talk a lot about, and we'll we'll talk a little bit more about kind of the uh, the defensive shape and formation and and what Carlo's been doing to this point. But uh, but again, the goal was created because we were careless with the ball. And we put our defense in, in a horrible position. And, and, and that's a lot of times that's what's happening. I don't know how much of this is formation or defensive shape and how much of it is just, we just don't do the simple things well. Matthew? I think it does feel a lot like um, kind of self-inflicted wounds at the moment, doesn't it? Um, I think we, we 
have considered that the most goals outside the box or something um, aside from one of the team or certainly the last two weeks we've conceded from outside the box haven't we and certainly the Burnley's goal yesterday was was extremely preventable wasn't it um, I think the, the game as as a whole kind of you kind of have to take in kind of you kind of I think you have to take that first half an hour in isolation and then the hour after it in isolation as well um, like Jeff said I think once Ancelotti kind of stumbled across that sort of change in system because of Dell's injury, I think we looked a lot more like our old selves. I don't, I don't think we were brilliant, but I think we looked much more functional, much more uh, threatening going forward. Um, because I think Alan and Decore benefit from that, having a third man in midfield. What, you know, whatever you think of Gomez or whoever plays there, I think they, um, they seem to have a lot more protection with an extra body there. Um, and I think, I think as well, it's it's been quite hard to kind of pinpoint exactly where Richarlison and James Rodriguez have been, you know, supposed to be playing the last three games in this with this back three because they seem to kind of drift into the middle or drift wide again. And I think it kind of clarified their roles a bit easier and went back to I think what what served us so well in September and the start of October, um, and. I don't think, well, I don't think we deserve to win the game. I think you'd probably say overall, we're probably good value for a point. Um, and I do kind of, I do, I take more optimism, I think, from the fact that we went back to what has worked before by the end of the game. And, and hopefully that's something we can take into this pretty horrible run of fixtures we've got. Because it does feel like, I think Carlo Ancelotti has maybe slightly overcomplicated it last few weeks. Um, and things that go back to what's worked before is probably the right move at this stage. Yeah, I think so. Uh, you know, before going in anything, um, I was thinking about this earlier, and I think as we look at the season as a whole, one thing I, we have to realize is that um, not at any point during the season have we had our full slate of options. You know, we've had dealt with injuries since the first day of the season, so. You know, even those first four games where we had a basically full squad, Mason Holgate, um, I feel like a lot of us forget, was injured during that time as well. And he hasn't played as well since coming back. But he is, I think, still, in a lot of our minds, our best center back option. Um, so this has been a weird, you know, we're not even seeing, before we, you know, criti- obviously, you know, c- criticism is due to Ancelotti, but also he has dealt with injuries since the 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 very first day. So I think, you know, some of this you you have to remember thinking the positive side of you know listen I mean as bad as it's been the last few weeks you know this team it goes back to the depth you know if this team had more depth and, and we knew that it the, the problems weren't all going to be fixed in one season so you know and as Matthew has alluded Jeff or uh, has, has, has said Jeff so many times on this podcast for us you know if we didn't start off with four straight defeats, four straight wins and seven wins in, in total in all competitions, I think things would be a little bit different in terms of our viewpoint, but because of how well we started, I think we got a little bit ahead of ourselves, but um, you guys really hit on all the points, the major points, Um, obviously beaten by a long range again, looked much better after the Delph injury. Um, You know, I, I think one thing, and Matthew pointed out here in the agenda, one thing that we should point out, is, you know, Tosun coming off the bench again. Meanwhile, Keane is scoring over at PSG, his fifth goal in seven games in, in, in Liga 1. But, you know, obviously 
very good from Keen, a little bit different quality in that league. Um, so, you know, I guess maybe, you know, it's good for his confidence for sure. But, um, you know, obviously I feel like even Burnley may be better than some of the teams that they're playing over there in France. Um, but the lack of options, lack of depth, Jeff, you know, how much, you know, how evident has that been over the past few weeks? And, and is there any way to really figure this out and kind of get back on track with the injuries we have and the lack of depth that we're dealing with? Well, it's always nice to get a reminder that Cheng Tosin is still on the squad, right? <laughs> we, we need that occasional uh, reality check. Um, in, terms of, uh, in terms of Moise Keane, um, I, I've, been, I've said it over and over again, Moise Keane is where Moise Keane needs to be. Moise Keane does not need to be with Everton right now. And, and I know we would love to have that option off the bench, but that's not what he needs to be doing. He needs to be doing exactly what he's doing now at PSG playing minutes, scoring goals, gaining confidence, getting better. Um, he is still our player, um, but I, every time I see him score, I, well, I see the reaction every time he scores on social media. My reaction is different. I'm excited. When he scores a goal, I think, oh, that's an Everton goal because he's our player, and he's going to benefit us at some point um, unless our situation changes and – and he's doing great things, and I, I think that's a great thing. But in terms of the, in terms of the overall depth of our squad, that's that's the real challenge. Um, Carlo Ancelotti and Marcel Brands have already made significant improvements to the starting eleven. I think there are more improvements to come for the starting eleven. Um, the depth is the difficult part. That's when it gets hard because you need to, which was just part of the reason why I think. Get, getting European football this, this season is incredibly important for Everton because next summer is going to be about building depth in the squad. And in order to build quality depth at a club like Everton, um, you're, you're not going to have, you're not going to have world-class players coming off the bench like we see with, with other clubs. Um, but we need quality depth. We need to find quality players who are willing to come off the bench for Everton football club. That's a challenge. Uh, and then that's where the hard work is really going to need to be done. And that's going to take, that's going to take this next window at least um, to build in that depth. But um, that's kind of where we are. I, I think it still and discounting Mason, Mason Holgate's injury early um, still when our starting 11 is intact, we are unbeaten. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's the reality of it. We are yeah. unbeaten. Everyone is on on the pitch, including Luca Dean. We're we're unbeaten. It's a good it's a good squad, but we're one significant injury or two significant injuries away from this season going off the rails. Yeah. That's because we need to build depth in the squad, and that's going to take time, and it's going to be a little bit of a challenge. I, I have a question for you, Jeff. Um, and obviously, you know, I, I feel like this kind of plays into the Delph thing as well. Ancelotti not choosing again, Kunku on the bench. Um, and, and obviously, you know, having to switch things up, put Godfrey at left back, who we'll talk about in a little bit, but, you know, would you say that, you know, a lot of the times those players that are coming off the bench, a lot of times are younger players, players who maybe haven't made a name for themselves, but show quality and promise. Ancelotti has so far not given 
the opportunities, even with injuries, to guys like Anthony Gordon, to guys like, you know, um, to, to Niels and Kunku, and even Ellis Sims, who were bringing Tosun off the bench instead of maybe giving him a shot. It, it, do you think that that is an issue? Do you think that – would you have rather seen Nkunku? Because, I, I mean, I know my opinion. We know Matthew's opinion. What's your opinion on the way Ancelotti has been treating – those younger guys who could be used as depth pieces, but haven't been given the opportunities that we maybe thought they would be. Yeah, I was having this discussion just the, the other day that, um, you know, I've in 20 plus years in sports journalism covering, covering every sport, I've seen managers, quite a few managers in every sport who just prefer veteran players. They, they don't, they're not comfortable putting the 19 and 20 year old out there, no matter how much the fans clamor for it, no matter how good this player appears to be when he does get an opportunity. Um, and, and I feel like, I, I don't know what Carlo Ancelotti's um, past is in that regard. I don't know if at the other places he was at, he was, he was the same way um, where, but I know he, most of the clubs he's managed have been pretty established with, with veteran quality veteran players. Um, so this might be a little bit different for him to have the, these young guys that people are clamoring to get an opportunity for. Um, so I, so I don't know if it comes down to that. That's my best guess. Um, he's, he's, he's dropped a few hints. He dropped one in the, pre-match press conference on Friday about in Kanku where he, he said something about somebody asked, what is, what do these players need to do? What areas do they need to improve on to get an opportunity to play? And he brought up, um, it was more the technical aspect. Um, it wasn't, you know, fitness or physical ability. It was more just the, the technical aspect. He, he wants to see more improvement. And so I, I don't know if it's just he's just not he's more comfortable bringing veterans in because he feels like it's less there's less risk involved in that. I, I, I don't know. Um, I'm like anyone else. I would be excited to see what what um, these players could do. Um, but I, yeah, I, I trying to read Carlo Ancelotti's mind and I'm, I'm uncomfortable uh, disagreeing with Carlo, even though no, no manager, no matter how great, uh, is without, is above criticism. No manager is above criticism, but it is difficult because I, I find myself, you know, disagreeing with him and say, hey, you, you need to, you need to get these guys out there. But, um, he has, he has his reasons and, and that's, that's my best guess. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, for me, maybe it's, you know, I feel like maybe a, um, you know, seeing Nkunku play left back in a situation where, you know, instead of putting somebody like Godfrey who hasn't played that position before, you know, obviously hindsight's twenty twenty. Godfrey played fantastic there. Um, but, you know, maybe just seeing that on the bench and having that option maybe is what I, I see as well. Let's talk a little bit about that defense. Um, Matthew, um, you know, chime in on this one as well. Uh, you know, what's your guys' opinion on – the back three experiment. Is this the end of the back three experiment? Should we, should we expect this to be done now that we've, you know, seen how it hasn't worked really for us in the past and switching back to that back four has really changed things? I think it should be just because, like I said before, I think um, 
we just look so much more attuned to playing with with a back four and then a midfield three in, in front of that. Um, and you know, I think yes, obviously Richarlison and Dean are you know two of our most important players and massive losses when they haven't been able to play. But I don't think that's for me anyway. That's not like it's not a reason to kind of just rip up the whole the whole blueprint and and, and start again. I, for me, I think you only needed to maybe just swap like for like, or you know, just tinker just gently with with the um, with the game plans. Um, I don't think. I mean, obviously, like you said, it's easy to be wise after the event, but I think um, I think yesterday I could understand why you brought Yeri Mina back uh, because obviously Burnley have a lot more of an aerial presence maybe than most other teams. Um, but I think you look at how much more settled we looked in a back four um, with, even with kind of, you know, unorthodox fullbacks in Alex Iwobi and Ben Godfrey, who, who I agree was probably Evans' best player yesterday, or certainly one of them. Um, I think right now, I think, I think when you're boxed against the wall, you just need to kind of stick, with, stick to what you know. And I don't think maybe now is the best time to experiment with new systems or sort of radical ideas. I think if Everton can just keep it simple and just um, stick to what they're good at, I think certainly for this run of games where they've got really tough fixture list until the new year, I think that will probably give them the best chance of getting results against teams like Chelsea, who obviously we've seen last year and like Jeff was saying before, the year before, you know, they're, they're certainly beatable, at least at Goodison. Um, you know, Leicester lost to Fulham last week at home. Um, Arsenal are, are not, you know, the force that they used to be. So I think all these games are eminently win- winnable, but I just think to give Everton the best chance of winning them, it, it would certainly help to play the system that they're most, they're best suited to and they're most used to playing in. I think. Jeff? Yeah, I'm interested to see, um, I'm interested to see how much, what, what Ancelotti saw um, in that second half, when he did move more to the the four two three one and and have Godfrey at, at left back, and um, it'll be interesting to see if there if he does react to what he saw in the second half uh, against Chelsea, and and does make a change and go with four at the back. So it'll it'll be interesting to see because I thought it was apparent to pretty much everybody that. Um, it did change the dynamics in, in the second half. So it'll be interesting if that, um, if Carlo, if Carlo kind of goes that route or if he just reverts back and sticks with what he's been doing. Is Godfrey the guy there, you think, moving forward, Jeff? He looked good. I, I thought he looked really good. He looked really comfortable. Um, I, I like him. I like him. He hasn't been, he hasn't been perfect, but uh, um I like him. He's a good, good, good young player. Um, he's pretty decent uh, uh, in, in all respects. Uh, he did have the one. Um, I think Hamez was a little frustrated, or they were frustrated with each other. Did you see the? Mm. I think Hamez was expecting him to make a run down the left, and um, and and he didn't. And there were some <laughs> some words exchanged, but I think that's just a part of uh, this club kind of growing together. But. But yeah, I like I, I like him. He looked really comfortable uh, there in the in the second half. Yeah, and I think that the big thing for him is that, you know, he hasn't looked perfect, but he's looked good. 
and about 90% of the time he's been playing out of position. <laughs> he's only really played a couple games for us at center back. Um, you know, he's been playing left back, right back. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, kind of a good player to have, just somebody who's willing to step in and, and, you know, do whatever it takes to help the team, which is always a good attitude and something I think a lot of us, had, you know, a lot of us fans at Everton appreciate. Um, final thing really here in Matthew, um, I know Pete's five telling stats are, are on here. I can't access them. So if you want to talk a little bit about them, um, that'd be good too. Um, but you know, you guys, were you, are you surprised in this downturn in form or is this kind of expected with, you know, the injuries and some of the stuff we've been dealing with? I agree. I, I, I was a little frustrated. I think when people were talking about, well, it might've been one of the, one of the broadcasters on the, on the match, um, where they were talking about this run of form. And I think that's a little unfair because included in that run of form are three matches where the squad was completely decimated. Um, you, you didn't have Hamid for a period. You didn't have Richarlison for any of those three matches. You didn't have Dean for one. Um, a few of the, a few of the lineups that Carlo had to put out there were just complete patchwork. Um, just, just dealing with the fallout from the Derby, dealing with the Pickford thing, that those three matches were not, that's not a run of form. I, I, I really think that our, if we're judging Everton's form, we judge it beginning with the match against Leeds and then yesterday and then moving forward. I, I think that's where we're judging our run of form. So if we want to talk about that, let's start talking about the Leeds match first, because those three previous matches the squad was a mess for a variety of reasons, injuries, suspensions, the Pickford situation. Um, so yeah, I, I think our, I think our form really begins with the Leeds match and let's move from there and, and, and kind of see where we are. Matthew. Um, I'm not, no, not really. The same reasons Jeff said, really. I think you look at the injuries, um, you look at like other mitigating factors like, you know, um, I personally don't think playing in an empty stadium has has no effect. I think it is it can be detrimental. I don't think you know we've all seen Everton put in terrible performances at Goodison, but I think it can give players a lift. I think when Goodison's on song, um, I also think I look at it like now, especially with it being a year since we sacked um, Silver. You know, are we in a better position than a year ago? I would. I would say yeah. Have we improved the squad from a year ago? I'd say yeah. Um, but have we still got a long way to go? Well, yeah, because Antonio had a massive job to do, and um, he was not going to finish that job in twelve months, during which time there's been a pandemic and you know a seven-week turnaround between the end of one season and the start of another one. You know, if we had had we bought a whole new squad in that transfer window, it wouldn't have been conducive to getting them to gel in time and and you know you have to be a bit I guess cuter about these things and, and play the long game with them rather than just looking for the quick fix which I think is what we did with with um with Cuban maybe a few years ago as well. And also I think even though the results have been disappointing lately, I don't think we've seen kind of the the sort of lack of effort that maybe we saw in games last season like 
you know, the top of my head, the, the Anfield derbies or the, the Norwich defeat or the defeat at places like Chelsea or Wolves. I think we're just, we're, we're quite a, we're an av- we've got quite an average squad. I think we've got a few very good individuals, but I think beyond that, there isn't a lot to sort of pick out from. Um, and I think, I do think that maybe the start of the season we had maybe, and the manager that we've got maybe raised people's ex- expectations too too quickly. And I think maybe where we are now is probably roundabout maybe where, where we should be. And I think if we're still having these sorts of conversations in a year, then that's maybe a bit more of a cause for concern. But I think for now, there's maybe there's too many mitigating factors, I think, to maybe point the finger too much at people like Ancelotti or the, or the players. I just think we're, we're still very much a work in progress and we're still you know, very much at the kind of the early stages of our of our development under Ancelotti. So. Um, I think this was always going to happen this season. I think it's not as sort of terminal or as, as worrying as maybe the runs under Silver last season was, or the, you know, the back end of last season. I think uh, we will we will pick up again. I wouldn't be surprised if this run of games sparked an upturn in form, just because we seem to, you know, curiously play better against better teams sometimes. But um, I'm not overly worried. I'm not overly surprised or upset really about this run of form because I think I could see it coming even with the start of the season we had. Yeah, um, no, I would agree. I think, you know, um, you know, like you said, we have, there's a lot of work to be done with this squad. There's, there's still a lot, you know, that needs to be figured out. And, and, you know, that doesn't mean, you know, we definitely, Ancelotti does deserve some criticism for maybe some of the selections he's had, but also, you know, we got to take all of that with a grain of salt in the sense that, you know, there's not many players he has to choose from at this point either. Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, obviously, you know, maybe maybe changing the systems at the back. It, there, there's a lot of factors, I think, that have played into, you know, maybe just like the differences in form and even the defense, you know, I'm sure for Pickford and the defenders trying to work with two different systems and, and there's no consistency there with different players coming in each week. Um, it definitely hasn't helped the defense, um, you know, and when you talk about last year, you know, really, like you said, we're fighting in every game. It's just, we're not finishing. We're not, you know, we're not able to keep that one goal out to give us that one, nothing win. Like we were maybe at the beginning of the season, or we're not able to score that extra goal to give us that two, one win, um, in a game that's tied and, and, and we we have the advantage, you know, going in the last 15 minutes. Um, but I think as time goes by, we'll start to see what this team is. I think in January, we, we may actually get maybe one or two players. I'm not sure we'll get a lot because, uh, you know, Brands isn't typically spending in January. I don't think he's spent in January since he, he's arrived here. Um, but I do think we need help, especially in depth without some of these players. So um, squad's still developing and, and just got to have your faith, put, put our faith in Ancelotti that he knows what he's doing and, and we'll go from there. Um, All right, Uh, we're going to take a quick break here, but after we come back from the break, we'll uh, talk a little about what Jeff's been doing and and how he's been, you know, incorporating the American audience in in some of the the Everton stuff um, this year and moving forward. All right, so uh, we're back now, and we're talking uh, now with Jeff about uh, kind of what he's been doing in the Everton realm of things, you know, off the pitch. Um, Jeff, you had a, a Zoom chat last week with Everton supporters, uh, with Everton supporter groups, 
um, about plans and partnerships here in the U.S. You want to talk a little about, you know, how that went and kind of what you guys were discussing, um, you know, if you can, of course, I don't know what you can discuss, but tell us a little about what you guys talked about and, you know, kind of the plans for the future, maybe a little bit. Yeah, sure. It's a, it's a really, it's a really exciting time. Um, I feel like for, um, uh, for all the North American uh, Everton supporters groups and uh, through the efforts of, uh, of Tony Sampson uh, with the Chicago Evertonians, um, the fan fan engagement team. And um, but uh, yeah, the, the couple of the things that are going on now, um, I know have uh, kind of been released out on social media a little bit, but for those who haven't, haven't heard um, the, the first thing that is in uh, progress now is uh, in a deal with, with Hummel um, to essentially outfit all of the uh, American uh, Everton supporters groups in Hummel gear uh, with their supporters group badge uh on on the merchandise uh that's that's amazing i I don't i don't know that any other club um is doing anything like that uh here uh but it's the full line of hummel products whether it be hoodies sweat jackets t-shirts kits bubble hats whatever Um, but it'll have, uh, it'll have our, all the supporters groups in in America have a, have a a badge that, uh, that they've designed Uh, a few of them. I think Atlanta might have two different, uh, badges that they use on their stuff. And and we've kind of been on our own, as you can see, well, you can't, we're not on video (laughs) behind me, the Cincinnati Toffees crest, um, that, uh, that Adam Frazier, our, our founder, uh, helped design. Um, but yeah, Hummel is going to um, provide us with access to uh, to their whole line of products uh, with our supporters groups uh, badges on it, and of course the Hummel logo. And uh, Hummel did uh, retweet out a commitment to that as well uh, earlier uh, last week, which was really cool. Uh, but it's their full line of products. Uh, there's no minimum um, order. Uh, they're really making it easy for us. They'll create a URL for all of the supporters groups so that we can create a store and uh, we can, we can mark up the merchandise if we choose to for various uh, uh, charitable endeavors uh, or to benefit Everton in the community or, or things that we have going on here. But uh, it'll be really cool to, I, I can't wait to to walk around Cincinnati in a, in a Cincinnati Toffees uh, sweat jacket with a Hummel logo on it, uh, because I don't know that any other uh, any other uh, club to that in the U.S. So it's it that's really just a massive thing that they're doing. Yeah, it's uh, that's that's awesome because I know so we're excited about. Uh, oh. Yeah, no, I was just saying that I know that one of the biggest things for, um, you know, that people in America, at least from what I've seen, have talked about is the lack of ability to buy Everton type gear or be able to, you know, it's very, you go into these soccer shops, you know, at least by me, I don't know about by you, Jeff, but it's a lot of Tottenham or Manchester United and, you know, Chelsea and and naturally Chelsea because Pulisic plays for Chelsea and, and, um, you know, that is you know, an American. So I get that part, but a lot of other ones, 
you know, there's no Everton in there. And then we've had two Americans play for Everton, Tim Howard and, and Landon Donovan. Um, and I think one other, if I'm not mistaken, um, but I can't, I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, but buying that type of stuff is, you know, I feel like that could help raise the, you know, really raise the, uh, um, the, the, the profile of Everton. Um, anything else you got, you want to mention or anything else you guys talked about that was really yeah, promising? The, yeah. The other big thing that's on right now is, and I, I think it's uh, pretty much common knowledge now that, uh, that Everton was planning, uh, a preseason tour of the U.S. before COVID hit, um, and the word is is that those plans are still are still out there. So if our situation changes uh, in here in terms of the pandemic, um, that is something that they still would like to do. Um, so in conjunction with that, uh, the supporters groups in America are working on, and, and again, this is spearheaded by, uh, by Tony Sampson uh, and, and his group, but uh, we're working on a concept for what we'll call Toffee Fest, uh, which would be a fan fest um, tied to uh, the whatever city that, or city that Everton uh, might be, uh, you know, playing matches in whatever the host city might be. Um, and even if they don't do preseason tour, we're still talking about a uh, possibly a summer event, uh, Toffee Fest, a centralized city that's close to a lot of a lot of the the, the supporters groups uh, in America, easily accessible, and and do like um, as you know. Uh, you know, in, in America, a lot of most, if not all, professional sports teams have some sort of off-season fan festival where fans can gather and they sell memorabilia, they have events. Um, obviously, you have players, you know, signing autographs or, or whatever it might be. That would be in a, in a city centralized to most of our supporters groups uh, where fans can gather. Uh, we would obviously incorporate the um, whatever the host Everton pub is in that city into the events uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's really kind of uh, conceptual still, but the discussions are underway. Uh, and the first one would, would if Everton does a, a tour of the U.S., then obviously the first one would be, would be tied to that. Um, so we're throwing, tossing around ideas on how this would work, uh, what types of things we want uh, um, to do, and just the logistics of everything. But uh, if you, I, I think Arsenal maybe does something similar I think maybe in New Orleans, I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, Toffee Fest is on the drawing board. And it's very, uh, that's, that's a, another uh, exciting thing that's in the works. That's, that's great. I mean, I, you know, like you said, this, it, it, this is great. Um, I love this. And, you know, hearing that they were coming to America, you know, even this past season, hearing that they, they still have plans to do that is great because I know the last time they came to America, I think they played in Miami and San Francisco and, I was in high school or something like that and <laughs> couldn't get to any of those, but um, it'll definitely be um, really, really fun to see that and, and really good to see Everton really growing in, in America because it's, you know, it's so important. I think this is a, a big market for it and, and it's a growing market and, and it's awesome. Um, you know, really last thing on this before we take another break and get into, uh, you know, the Chelsea stuff. Before this, obviously, I feel like they're doing more now. But do you feel like Everton had done enough to cater to the American audience going into this? And, and you know, 
is, is this what they're doing enough or do you think there's more areas they can break into as well? Yeah, I think uh, it's, it's always been, it's, it's been kind of a, kind of a roller coaster in that respect. Um, honestly, I don't think Everton ever really took full advantage of the popularity of Tim Howard here. Uh, I think they, they kind of, they missed the boat on that. Um, I've, I've always said that I, I like that Everton is, is a, is a provincial club. That's one of the things that kind of drew me to them that it's, it's, it's a Liverpool club. It's a local Liverpool club. It's more of a Liverpool club than our neighbors across the park. Um, it's um, in, in it's, it's a club that, that caters to the fan base that that's there. And, and I think, I think there's been a push for a long time for Everton to kind of break through the borders of L4 and get out and, and build their brand throughout the world in particular in the U.S. And I'm now seeing a really concerted effort um, uh, in that. And I know for a while, like Everton USA was really uh, pretty much on their own. They didn't get a lot of assistance from the club. And yet annually, every spring, they would take a group to Liverpool and do a week-long thing. And um, he would take care of arranging the hotel. He would take care of arranging the Beatles tour. He would take care of arranging the tour of Goodison Park. He would take care of getting match tickets. And, and, and frankly, he would, there was some frustration um, because the club would help, but the club could have helped a lot more. Um, I see that changing now. Uh, there's a concerted effort within Everton Football Club. They've added staff to help with international supporters groups. They have a fan engagement team. Um, and there's, there's a really strong effort and a lot of discussions going on right now. And our American ambassadors, Tony Sampson uh, being the, uh, the primary um, individual here who's, who's, um, who's kind of spearheading things. But, but yeah, there, there's a much better effort. And, and I think we will see, you'll see Everton and, um, in, in uh, more of a pre Everton presence in, in America in the coming years. Uh, I know they're opening a couple of uh, academies, one here in, in Ohio in Columbus, um, youth academies. I know they're talking about an international office, which would most likely be in Miami to kind of feed off the, um, all of the, the momentum with, in Colombia um, with, with the signing of James. And, and I, I, think that, I think that was kind of an eye-opener for Everton um, I don't know that they knew that by signing James Rodriguez that all of a sudden you've got Everton kits flying off the shelves in, you know, in Colombia. Um, but yeah, I, I think they could have done better. Uh, I, I think it's been kind of a rocky road to get to this point, but I think Everton is serious about building their brand in America and that can only go a long way to, to helping them and, and also helping Everton in the community and all their initiatives uh, I think it's a great thing for the club and, and any new revenue streams, any, any new branding sponsorships. Uh, I, I think the, there are probably opportunities that we don't even really know about yet. Uh, if Everton is successful in, in growing their brand in America and, and elsewhere. So it's, it's an exciting time right now. Yeah. Can I just ask you, can I just ask you both of you guys question as like a sort of semi layman on this, like, how how big a fan base in America do you, would you say Everton currently have, like both like nationwide and in 
in both of your guys like more local areas like would you say it's like the big six and then Everton like the seventh most followed uh, English club or maybe I think that's pretty um I think there there are obviously a, a lot of fans of you know clubs like Arsenal um clubs like United um our neighbors across the park um there are a lot of fans of those clubs in America naturally um but I think what kind of sets Everton apart is the way that our supporters groups, and we have supporters groups in pretty much every major city in the country, um, just the way our supporters groups interact with each other on social media. And it, it's really kind of a, an Everton fan network, not just here, but globally um, with the Blues and Liverpool. Um, the way that we kind of connect with each other uh, via social media kind of sets us apart. There are probably more United and Arsenal fans in here in Cincinnati, but we have more, the Cincinnati Toffees have more Twitter followers than most of those other top six clubs. And, and that there's kind of this global Everton fan network uh, that is really a, uh, just the way we support each other, the way we interact with each other kind of sets us apart. But, um, but I think that's a fair assumption. I think just like we are typically in the, in the table, um, we're kind of the best of the rest in terms of the, the number of fans that we have uh, here in America. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, for me, it's not like I'm walking around finding Everton fans. It's, it's very similar. It's, you know, you know, there's Man United fans, Man City fans, Tottenham fans. Like, like I said, my brother and my dad are, are both Tottenham fans. Um, and they're probably watching the game right now. Um, but, you know, it, there's just something so different about even just the camaraderie we feel as Americans over here. And it, it just feels like, there's something different about Everton. You feel part of the club even over here. Um, whereas I'm not sure many of the other people do, you know, I feel like as Americans, we tend to feel very much a part of, you know, what Everton's doing. And especially now we we're feeling more a part of that. And I think that's a, you know, a really, really big thing. Um, you know, and, and I think that's one thing that drew me closer to it as well. Um, all right. I think we're yeah, thinking, one thing. Uh, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead, Jeff. Just, yeah, one other point on that. Um, one other point on that, that if there are, there are two, two really large football clubs in Cincinnati. And if you go there on a match day, uh, you'll see the, you know, the Liverpool fans tucked in a corner and the United fans tucked in a corner and the Chelsea fans and the Arsenal fans all, and, and they've got the matches all on, you know, their TVs. Um, but we have our own pub, an Everton pub. It's Everton only. Every TV has our match on it. Everybody that's in there are blues. And we all know each other. Um, if we don't know you, but if you come into a match and you haven't been before within a few minutes, we all know you. Um, but the other fan bases, they, they show up with their buddy and they've got their United kits on and they sit there and watch the match with, with each other. And then there might be another 50 United fans in the pub but they don't interact with each other the way we do. If you go to Dana Gardens on a, on a match day, everybody in there is a blue. Everybody knows each other. And it's just, like you said, it's just a different camaraderie. The, the, way that, that, the way that our fans interact with each other and relate to each other 
is completely different than than what any of those other clubs are doing. Yeah, no, the same same here. I mean, I've never been to the um, the pub here in the city um, in in New York, but um, I know that they do have one, and every week it's the same type of thing. You know, just they go there and you know they watch the game together. They know each other, and and it's definitely really really cool to see all of that. Um, all right, let's take another quick break. Um, but after the break, we'll talk a little bit about uh, the Chelsea match coming up uh, this weekend. All right, uh, Chelsea coming up this weekend uh, for Everton, the next matchup in what is a grueling uh, lineup of matches for them in this month of uh, December. Uh, this one will take place Saturday, December 12th. It'll be uh, 8 p.m. over in England. It'll take place at 3 p.m here on the East Coast um, in Eastern Standard Time. Um, 2,000 Everton fans at Goodison for the first time since uh, March when they had them at uh, Goodison for the Man United match. Um, that's a huge thing, obviously, um, to have fans back at Goodison and, and something I think we're all very excited to see. Um, Chelsea so far went top of the table for the time being um, after the 3-1 home win over Leeds. Um, this past week, um, I think Tottenham are winning right now over Arsenal. So I think that'll change. Um, they've only lost one league game. They've scored 25 goals, which is the highest in the premier, uh, the premier league at the time of recording, which is, uh, Sunday morning. Um, Edward Mendy, five clean sheets and seven premier league games. Clearly a great pickup for them. Um, the last two times we faced Chelsea, uh, back in December of last year, um, we beat them three to one and then uh, March right before the uh, lockdown and, and, and break uh, because of the lockdown lost four, nothing to Chelsea. Um, so let's get into it. Um, thoughts on Chelsea, Jeff. Well, they, they're my favorite to, to win the league going into the season. Um, but it's a, uh, so it's, I think it's easy to, to, to say that this is not, the best time for us to play Chelsea. Um, but it's a club that we've actually had pretty decent recent success against um, prior to that four nil um, loss after project restart, we had a four match unbeaten streak against them. We had three clean sheets in in five in the last five matches against them. Um, so there, there are a club, they are a club that we tend to rise up and, and play pretty well against that four, no loss, uh, notwithstanding. Um, but yeah, a lot of, a lot of firepower, um, that's really going to challenge us defensively. Uh, it's just going to be a tough match. Uh, I, I think, I think you, you just, you'd like to come think that if they, we come away with a result or, um, or even all three points that that would be a match that would kind of signify a turning point. Um, I'm not expecting that, but I also would not, you know, panic if we don't come away with anything from this match. Um, and, and I, I wonder why is it every December we're fretting about a difficult December? Is it just the, well, you know, a lot of it I think is because we the have, schedule makers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, we've got, you know, that we have the most or the least amount of time in between games for the next you know month or whatever. But um, Matthew, anything, uh, your thoughts on, on Chelsea? Well, I don't know why, because they, like I said, they've been in such good form and they look particularly strong this season, but I always feel like Chelsea at home is like 
particularly winnable game. Maybe that is just because of our record against them, but I don't. I certainly don't fear playing Chelsea at the moment the same way that you would fear playing like Liverpool or, or Manchester City even. Um, so, you know, and obviously you think I think back to that Chelsea home game last year when when Ferguson was in charge and we just we kind of got in Chelsea's faces from like from the very first minute and just um, attacked them sort of relentlessly and. Um, that's that's kind of what you want to see, I guess, from Everton. But I I would like to think that the you know I don't know how much of an impact it's had maybe on other teams, but maybe I would like to think maybe having even just two thousand fans will provide some sort of boost or an atmosphere for the players to feed off. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I'm kind of like Jeff. I think any result is a good result, but I don't. I certainly don't think this is like a game where should we should be over overawed because. I think we can get at Chelsea. We've certainly got the attack to get at Chelsea. Um, it's just obviously the other end that we're, you know, we're we're particularly porous and they're particularly strong. But um, I I do fancy us not to at least not lose this one for for whatever you know naive <laughs> reason. Yeah, I, I you know it's uh, I'm on the same page as you guys. You know, a result would be great. Um, you know. But it's not the end of the world if, if you know, we no. don't get results. Um, you know, I think a result would be, would be boosting and, and kind of a turning point. Um, Matthew, we'll start with you on this one. Changes Ancelotti should consider making for this one? It's kind of, yeah, it's kind of got a bit of a headache now, hasn't he? Because we've all kind of been calling for Nkunku to play, and yet he's, Ben Godfrey played so well at left back yesterday that... What do you do? Do you, do you stick with Godfrey or throw in Kunku in? It doesn't seem like he's particularly uh, desperate to throw in Kunku in anyway, but um, certainly got something to think about there. Mm-hmm. Um, and whether, you know, if he goes to a back four, will he stick with Alex Awubi, who I thought was all right yesterday, apart from his crossing, which was you know, repeatedly wayward. Um, other than that, I think. The midfield three certainly worked better yesterday, so I'd stick with that. And then obviously I think the front three kind of picks itself for the time being. I also think, um, and I know kind of it wasn't it's not a particularly contentious issue yesterday because I think he was pretty good, but I think Jordan Pickford is kind of I know you said about the you know the, the long range goals and the absence of clean sheet, but I think I think Jordan Pickford has had a an improved Last few weeks on you know yeah. what was admittedly a pretty low bar before that, but I think um, like to see him kind of keep his place now. I think and, and try and get that elusive clean sheet and and kind of rebuild his confidence and um, certainly a back four. Whether it's you know whether it's like a four two three one or a four three three, you know who knows. But I think certainly a four man defence is is uh, crucial for this one. I think Jeff. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I I would like to see Carlos stick with what we saw uh, in the second half uh, against Burnley and just see how it works against uh, a Chelsea club that's got a lot of a lot of firepower. Um, but I like Godfrey um, where he was uh, in the second half. I, I liked um, kind of the shape of that four-two-three-one, and um, and I'd like to see him to stick with that uh, at, at least to start against, against Chelsea. Um, 
And yeah, Pickford, uh, I thought Pickford was, was outstanding. I, Pickford was the reason we didn't lose that match um, against Burnley. So um, I expect him to play well and uh, he's going to need to make uh, probably some, um, some tremendous saves to keep them, to keep them out. Uh, but if he does, I think we can get a result. I think we'll find a goal. Uh, I think we will score. So um, I don't know. I can see, I could easily see this being a, a two-two, um, but I could also easily see this being a four-two. Uh, but I think we will find the net. I, I think I think we'll score goals uh, against them, but uh, it's just a matter of keeping them out. I think one thing I forgot to add was I think um, although Michael Keane and Yerry Mina both played pretty well yesterday, I don't think I don't think I would stick with them as a partnership for no. Chelsea just because of you know the pace that. I think, like I said, Burnley's quite a nice team for them to play because they're both um, quite sort of immobile, you know, um, imposing centre-halves. Chelsea's, I think, are a lot more dynamic and skillful and tricky, quicker quicker players than that. And I think, um, I don't think Michael Keane and Yerry Mina would work as a, as a partnership against an attack like Chelsea's. You know, whether, yeah. you, whether you play Godfrey in central defence or whether you bringing Holgate in for one of them and keep Godfrey at left-back, I don't know, but certainly that defensive pairing, I'm not sure, you know, as well as they play this today, I'm not sure I'd stick with that for tomorrow, uh, next Saturday. Yeah, I'm having nightmares already about Timo Werner getting in behind Michael Keane and Yerry Mina and something happening in the box. Or I, I just feel like that's a bad precedent to set if, you know, it's not a good start if we're starting Yerry Mina and and Michael Keane against Timo Werner, who's very notable for getting in behind defenses and being one-on-one with the goalkeeper. But, um, but yeah, you're right. I, I think, you know, a lot of people on Twitter yesterday were upset with the long-range goal again. Um, for me, I mean, the ball went in the side of the net. You know, it's not even like the ball went in the back. It hit the back of the net first. It hit the side of the net first. Like, it hit the, the you know, the left side of the net. It's a tough goal to save, especially with, the, you know, the block of vision and, you know, the defenders, you know, defenders have to be better at closing out and, and blocking that shot. Um, so for me, that, that wasn't on Pickford, and, and I think he's been playing very well. Um, and, and I think that if in the current run of form he's in, if he can keep at least keep getting this way and maybe get a clean sheet somewhere within the next couple of games, I think that's a really, really big, like you said, confidence boost, Matthew, um, for him. And could be something, you know, a, a solution to a problem that you know, one of the the few problems we have right now uh, to figure out um, that that would be very very big for for Jordan Pickford and um, uh, very big for Everton. Um, I think same as you guys. I, I want to stick with the back four. I think we're better in a back four, um, but we'll we'll see how, we'll see how that plays. Um, Jeff, you already gave your your prediction, I think. Um, but Matthew, if you want to give a prediction and, and you know kind of give us what you're thinking. Two two. I think I'm gonna go with. I do right. think we'll score. I do think we'll score. Like Jeff said, I think. Um, I would never bet against us not to score. Um, certainly, you know, with, with Calvert Lewin available anyway and Richarlison, but um, you can't put any faith in us to keep a clean sheet against certainly against the least highest scoring team. So, um, I do. Like I said, I do fancy us not to lose, but I can't put enough faith in us to win. So I'm gonna say draw. A high scoring yeah. triple. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. I think I'm gonna go with uh 
be less optimistic, go with a three, two loss. Um, you know, I don't know. I, 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 it's hard for me to see us getting any points this week. Um, but you know, I mean, if we, like we said, if we get points, it'll be great. If not, it's not the end of the world. Um, Jeff, thank you so much for joining us. We really, really appreciate it. And giving us kind of your insight into what the American audience is getting over the next few weeks and, and your own insight into Everton and, and how you've been thinking about things recently. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Matthew, thank you as always. Uh, we uh, obviously you. appreciate, yeah, appreciate you being here as well. Um, to you guys out there, thank you for listening. Thank you for continuing to follow us. Uh, just make sure you subscribe, download, um, continue to follow. If you're not following us, um, so that you can get that episode every time it comes out. Uh, that's all we got for this week. We'll talk to you guys next time.